Welcome back to the Black Letter Podcast. We set out to create an entertaining and exciting podcast about law and business, and I think we've done it. Black Letter, the name, comes from the Gothic typeset that was originally used in the Gutenberg Press. Over time, Black Letter became the only font that English law books were printed in. Everything else was printed in regular type. It made it harder for kind of the common person to understand what the English law books said. Black Letter came to represent something that was law, that was set in stone, that was sort of old and a well-settled fundamental principle of law. We're here to demystify Black Letter law. We're here to demystify things that happen in business and law and where those two meet. And I hope you have fun listening. Hi, this is Tom Dunlap. Welcome to another special COVID edition of the Black Letter podcast. We are now back in the office, but we are still doing it in separate offices, side by side, in our special COVID broadcast style. Today, I've got with me Phil Schwartz, an employment lawyer with Dunlap, Bennett, and Ludwig, and we're going to talk about what to do when you reopen as an employer, whether you're a restaurant or a gym or a company that does IT services. There's different rules for each one of these companies in every state. Phil and I were chatting before the show a little bit. And the biggest challenge is that the advice we give you now is probably valid, as Phil said, till the end of this broadcast, until the end of this show, because it's changing so frequently. So, And then the other thing, of course, is these things are being written in a hurry. So they're not really like as thought out as some uh, regulations and laws are. So there's a lot of challenge there as well. So with that in mind, I'm going to kick it off. And Phil, uh, I guess let's kick it off to you and start with why don't you tell us, let's just broad open-ended question to start the conversation. What should employers be thinking about as they reopen? Thanks, Tom. That's a, that's, it's a very open-ended question. And actually, as part of that, I'll even go back to what you just said about how things are being issued and written with less than the full uh, inspection or, or, or vetting of what they're saying. Perfect example of this is the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, which was the first major act passed by Congress was effective April 1. And that dealt with or deals with still emergency paid sick leave and expansion of the Family Medical Leave Act for certain COVID-related situations. The Department of Labor, which is implementing the rules under the Family First Coronavirus Response Act, or FFCRA, issued an employee poster that was mandatory to be posted in all workplaces by April 1st. The poster was issued uh, shortly before April 1st, and I get the first copy of it, and I look at it, and I say, this is wrong. And I send it to a colleague who says, you're right, this is wrong. And two days later, without any announcement, they just changed the poster that was available on the link to try and fix what was improperly stated when compared to the statute. So this is the government that issued the poster? The Department of Labor. They didn't say what the statute said, and it wasn't even an interpretation issue. Statute says you get 12 weeks of pay under the expanded Family Medical Leave Act if your kid's school or daycare is closed. They came out and said, you get 10. And they said, post this thing that, exactly. is wrong, that is not the law, but you must post it or be in violation of another. Correct. So three days later, they come out and, if, you know, and I'm telling everybody the poster's wrong, but you got to post it anyway. And then one of my clients says, well, it doesn't say what you say it said. And I go click on the same exact link and they've updated the poster, but never notified anybody that, hey, this is an updated link. or We've updated the attachment to this link. And it was still really unclearly written, but at least at that point, you could say, okay, 
if I think it through, I'll get to the right point and people are entitled to 12 weeks. Department of Labor, federal government's using summer interns, it sounds like. I don't know if it's summer interns or like everything that was going on back in the beginning of April. Everything was such a rush to get money onto the street that nobody was just vetting this the way they normally do. So about a week later, they actually rewrote the poster again. This time they scrapped the original one and they rewrote it a third time, clearly. Oh, well, so good. So now the poster on the Department of Labor site is a good poster. You got to post it. So it is, but but so many people just went and printed the first one that was available on March 28th or 29th and have never gone back. You know, the way they're writing regulations right now, I mean, if we look at some of the things they've done uh, in the CARES Act with the uh, unemployment benefits and extra $600 a week, you know, that's available in addition to the state benefits. You know, I'm now starting to deal with businesses that are reopening right. and they're calling their employees back and say, no, I don't want to come back to work. I'm making more money on unemployment. Yeah, that's another challenge. So my question, a couple of things that have come up in conversations with people. So not only what posters, what's the law, what's going on, how do I find out, but am I liable if somebody gets COVID? What do I have to do to protect my employees? How can I reopen? You know, the other thing I've heard, uh, and I'm throwing a bunch of stuff out for conversation. The other thing I've heard is, my employees have been teleworking for a couple months now and they like it. And they're saying, I'm scared of COVID. I don't want to come back. But I suspect or know that they're like really just happy not having to come into the office and having a really good basis for not doing that, probably. And so those are kind of some of the things that I've heard. And I'll let you pick and choose what you think kind of is the most important. Let's start with the first question of, you know, if somebody comes back to work, they get COVID, are you liable? This is probably the number one question I'm hearing or I'm being asked right now. Right. And the answer is, I don't know. Um, a lot of people say, well, is this covered by workers' compensation? And in Virginia, I would say most certainly right now, the answer is no. Workers' compensation covers you know, occupational injury or diseases. And I don't think anybody will say that contracting COVID is an occupational injury or disease. Right, because it's I mean, like it's the not, flu, right? Right. It's not specific to the office. Right. You know, and, and I differentiate that from, you know, asbestos related in, you know, illnesses and, and lung issues and mesothelioma and those kinds of things, because nobody has asbestos in their house. You know, if you work in a brake shop or in an, in an insulation factory, you may be exposed to asbestos. Right. But in a regular office environment, you're not, you know, or your home environment. You know, so one of the problems with are you liable, the answer probably the end of that, I, I would venture to guess and, and don't don't take me to hold me to task on this, but if if an employer were to be sued because an employee contracted COVID, I think at the end, the employer will win because I don't believe an employee will ever be able to make the causal connection between I got COVID, I got it from the office. I mean, how can you say you didn't get it from the gas station? You didn't get it from the grocery store. You didn't get it from Metro. You didn't get it when you picked up your takeout food or went to a restaurant. Um, So the good side is you'll probably win. The bad side is if, you know, the, the plaintiff's hungry lawyers, you know, you might find yourself tied up in a year, a year and a half of litigation. So do you think then, do you foresee maybe a, a plaintiff's bar that, that gets created for filing these COVID claims to get settlements because it's cheaper to settle than to litigate kind of thing? Do you think that could be something in our future? Some of the things I see from the plaintiff's bar, they, they never cease to amaze me. And I'm a defense guy. So, you know, take that 
we're picking up what it is. I think I pick up on that. You know, I mean, in certain areas, I mean, they're advertising their, you know, from the employment claims, it's become like the new auto accident advertisements. You know, at night, you watch late night TV, you see all kinds of ads for lawyers for mesothelioma, bad ice machines following surgery that cause frostbite, one thing after another. In certain towns, you know, more blue collar areas, they're advertising for unpaid wages. We don't see much of that in D.C., but in Baltimore, it's pretty common. Where with Baltimore has a much more blue-collar workforce than in the D.C. area. I wouldn't be surprised at all if we start to see that. Um, the other thing I wouldn't be surprised is if we start to see some type of governmental interaction or involvement where they try and say, hey, no, we're not, we need the economy to reopen. We don't need our employers sitting here worried about as long as they meet certain requirements, take reasonable steps, we'll, we'll shield them. I've heard some of that, Phil. So I was talking with Sherilyn Laban, who used to be at the SBA, and she was telling me that there's at least some consideration, and this is a podcast I did with her and a VP at a capital company that's involved with providing COVID loans. They said that uh, small businesses should stand up and contact their congresspeople, but there is talk about pending legislation to shield employers from liability for COVID-related illness. And it hasn't happened, but there is talk about that in Congress right now. So, yeah, I mean, there's talk about it. There's also some talk at the state level of making it a workers' compensation issue. Okay. Um, I think shield. Illinois and California have both modified their workers' comp laws right now to make COVID covered by workers' comp, which is the only um, avenue of recourse an employee would have is to file the workers' comp claim. Yeah. I think, uh, California, if I'm not mistaken, went as far to say, that if you get COVID within 14 days of returning to work, there's a presumption that you got it at work. Wow. Um, which makes it covered. Now, of course, you know, it limits the amount of benefits that are available to paying your medical costs. We're all going to see this, you know, next year in our, in our workers' comp premiums. And when we have our audits done, you know, after the end of this year. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if we see some, some of the smaller insurance carriers suffering and struggling and maybe even some bankruptcies over this. It'll be interesting to see what happens. So that's kind of where we are on the liability standpoint. But I think at the, before, you still have to take reasonable steps. So probably the most important step we can do is some type of a self, an employee self-survey. And, and I'm dealing with office-type environments when I'm having this discussion. Okay. And, you know, I don't mean um, going out and having everybody fill out a survey every morning. But I think before we bring people back to work, everybody should receive a written survey, something along the lines of, answer these questions. Are you currently suffering any symptoms of COVID, which are currently mostly we talk about fever, cough, or respiratory distress? Do you live with anybody that is suffering from any of these symptoms? Have you come in contact with anybody who is suffering from these symptoms? And we go through this, and if you answer any of those questions affirmatively, the response is stop, don't come to work. And we should really, you know, our employees should be asking themselves this question every morning when they get up out of bed. And if on any given morning, the answer yes to any of those questions, they should stop. They shouldn't go to the office. They should contact HR, their supervisor, somebody to say, hey, here's the deal. I woke up. I feel fine, but I got 101 fever. And the response from HR, the employer is don't go to work. Right. Okay. And under the CDC guidelines, you know, if you have a fever, you're supposed to stay home for either the, the longer of 10 days from the onset of the fever or three days after the fever has stopped without any fever-reducing medication. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and those are the kinds of things we have to look at. And in the office environment, you know, certainly in a law firm, 
we should be asking you know visitors to our office the same question. Don't let them into the conference room before they say, you know, are you currently suffering from any of these issues? And if they are, stop them. We don't want to expose our employees to that. Now, if you own a restaurant or if you own a store or whatever, it's harder because of the volume of people coming in. Right. But, you know, I'm seeing all over the place right now, even at takeout restaurants, they've got the big sign with the hand up, stop. Do you have any of these things? If you do, turn around and go home. I think the Virginia Department of Health is, is putting those out. And you can, told you can download them all, you know, online and print them up. And I would urge everybody to stick those on all their entrances to just, you know, stop people. You know, the other thing in Virginia, you know, they did make the wearing of masks in public mandatory. You know, you're not wearing the mask to protect yourself. You're wearing the mask to protect others. That's the first thing people have to recognize. I can tell you in my office, part of me wishes that we were adhering a little more closely to the mask. I'm sitting in my office with the door closed. I think that's one thing when I have the door closed. But when I go out in the hallway, I walk to the men's room. Sometimes I put on a mask. Sometimes I don't. We probably want to start enforcing that a little more stringently. We should be doing it every time. I mean, that is what's going to stop the mask. There was a survey I saw yesterday that, you know, mask wearing is the number one way to, 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 to slow transmission of, of COVID-19. Right. Makes um, sense. You know, I'm not an epidemiologist. I've kind of joked, you know, since the beginning of uh, or middle of March, I feel like I'm at times part lawyer, part therapist and part epidemiologist. And, you know, on each call, I don't know which one's going to take the lead. Right. Uh, I, I probably would say for a lot of it, it's actually been therapists. Clients are, for good reason, incredibly stressed. Yep. And, you know, the one thing I've told them all is that, you know, I've been doing this for more than 30 years. So I've had, you know, the first Gulf War, second Gulf War, the anthrax scare, 9-11, the financial meltdown of 2008, the bank crisis of 2013. You know, we've been going through all of these things. The only thing I can promise you is they're all going to end and we're going to get through them. What I can't tell you is when. Right. From each of those, you know, if you look at the economy, you know, there was a definitely a downturn, but things get better. Trudge through this and, and, and do the best you can. Unfortunately, there are going to be businesses that don't make it, but the vast majority will. So we just kind of try and act smart. So how do we set up then as employers in a rough sense for the second wave of COVID? Um, what are some of the things you're talking about, either policy-wise or I know at, at, at our office we're doing We've already been fairly digital and we're just enhancing digital access of everybody so we can continue to work, but some companies can't do that. Have you talked to companies about that, preparing for this? You know, we've heard uh, the demonstrations, maybe mass spreader events, and there's mm-hmm. a big second wave, particularly in the fall. What advice have you been giving there? Therapy well, or law or combination? Yeah, I, I mean, it's probably more therapy than anything else and, and maybe some just some non-legal business advice which is, you know, take the lessons we've learned from the last two and a half months of working remotely and do what you can to try and expand on those. Hopefully we won't have to. I have no idea if we will. Clearly the employers that were more prepared to work remotely weathered this better than the ones that were not. Now, obviously some businesses, it's just not, it's not possible. I represent a lot of physicians and dentists, you know, almost impossible to really weather this in that type of environment. You know, we had a little bit of telemedicine, you know, some counseling, you know, uh, mental health people. That's not as hard there. But, you know, if you're a dentist, you're a dermatologist, it's pretty impossible to practice and keep your business running without being hands-on. Right. Without seeing skin or teeth. Yep. You know, I mean, and the dentist is probably the profession I feel worst for because not only have they struggled the worst, 
But now as we're coming back, they're exposed more than anybody. I mean, if you think about it, basically when you're sitting in the dentist chair, you're spitting in your dentist's face the whole time. Sort of a little graphic there, but that's what it is. I will share. I went to my dentist last week and the door says, stop, go back to your car, call us. We will come out to your car when you're ready. They came out to my car, sprayed my hands, handed me a face mask. They had a face shield on and gloves, walked me in. And then the whole time, everybody's masked in gloves. So, I mean, it, I, I assume those would, it seems like really like high level precautions, but it seems like it would be effective based on what we know of COVID. Mostly, but when you start, when you sit down in the chair, that mask has to come off of you. I did, but his stayed on. He had a right. field of mask, everybody. Right. So. Yeah, and did, did they ask you a survey? You know, do you have a fever? Have you, you know, a cough? Do you live with anybody? Yeah, that was uh, so. That was a questionnaire I got by email before my appointment. Right, but, and that's actually I think being put out by the health department. Most uh, doctors and dentists are asking that question before you come in, and then asking that question here again before you they bring you into the office. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Um, you know, they're reducing space in the waiting rooms. Obviously, you know that's an important thing. Um, you know, as we come back to work, that's the other thing we need to look at the environments we're working in. For me, it's pretty simple. I have a private office with a door. I can walk into my office and close the door. Um, And except for, you know, running out to use the restroom or get a cup of coffee, I don't need to leave my office really that much during the day. Well, you could coffee machine and you could also do a chamber pot. So we can't get rid of the coffee because, you know, if I can't have my coffee, I can't stay awake. But then we look, though, so that's easy for me. But now we look at the support staff in our office who work in cubicles, one right next to another. Yeah. That's the kind of thing we need to look at and think about that. Okay, can we move those cubicles to spread them out? Because we certainly don't have six feet of separation. Right. Some of the cubicles, you know, you walk right past as you're walking past as you're going to the kitchen or the restroom. That gives me an idea, Phil, just for every employer, cubicles like that. Our cubicles are fully walled. Maybe we should put curtain doors on the cubicles. Putting a curtain on them? Yeah, you can check in it. my mind would act very similar. And again, this is where I'm an amateur epidemiologist. But if you put a curtain on the outside of a cubicle, I think to some extent that's going to act like a mask. It's going to keep the right. aerosolized particulate or particles inside the cubicle. Of course, yeah. who knows what would rise high above it? But we're certainly, you know, every little thing helps. Gotcha. Um, but, you know, when we're, when we're looking at that, though, you know, as we look to come back in our office, I think we have to plan on not having all of the support staff here at one time. Right. Because they're right on top of each other. And what a lot of people are doing, you know, I've heard, you know, we have red teams and white teams. We have one team and two team, whatever. You know, we have a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We have a Tuesday, Thursday, and we swap weeks. So we have a Monday, Wednesday and alternating Fridays and a Tuesday, Thursday and opposite alternating Fridays. So we're, we're bringing fewer people into the office that are not in a closed environment like you and I are in our offices. You know, the other thing I, I, I just a thought to the extent we have unused offices, we could have support staff hotel in those office spaces temporarily on days they come in. That might be a- right there. Absolutely. And to the extent, you know, we have that. Um, other offices that I've been at and I've in clients, they've sent me layouts. They've been able to, you know, where it's just a wide open area. Instead of having groups of cubicles, like a cluster of six, big space, a cluster of six, they've just broken them apart and spread them out. Yeah. A lot of it is very dependent on what your exact physical layout is. So, so the Tyson's office is very different than our Loudon in our Leesburg office. Oh, for sure. To summarize kind of the advice you give to employers is, it sounds like to me, common sense, like everything you do, 
look at it from a, I, Hey, me as a person in the office, I don't want to get sick. What can I do to minimize? That's exactly it. Maximize space and minimize contact between people. Mm -hmm. All the precautions the CDC is putting out, which a client of ours, by the way, we filed, I think like 13 certification marks for N95 for the CDC and a whole bunch of other things the last couple of weeks, because it's very busy in the virus space. But uh, what can I do to follow those regulations? And uh, from a legal perspective, it's kind of up in the air. So I guess the best advice, what I'm hearing from you is it's very fluid. And if you want to stay on top of how fluid it is, you kind of have to check in with the Department of Labor, with state departments of labor, federal department of labor, and your lawyer. Uh, and the department, uh, more importantly, the Department of Labor on most of this stuff is the state par- departments of health. The state departments of health. And, so, and I'd actually check on the county, especially like in Virginia, you really need to go to the county level. Okay. Because what's going on in Northern Virginia is very different than what's going on in the rest of the state. That's right. They split the state up. Yeah. Uh, most states um, are kind of unified, but Virginia's got mass population areas like where yeah. we are. Yeah. So, you, you, you know, you want to look at that. And, and I think the real important thing is to think, OK, you know, look at it from from two different approaches. What can I do to try and, and, and reduce my legal liability? Right. And that's taking these reasonable steps we've been talking about. And that's important. But probably more important is what can I do to protect my employees? Our employees are the number one resource we have. Right. And we want to treat them the right way. We want, you know, we don't want to just give lip service to the fact that we say we care about you. We actually do, I, I hope, you know, and I'm not speaking for, for our firm. I'm speaking for all of my clients in general, bringing people back. Maybe, you know, we look at people, maybe we make this voluntary. We need to look at how do people get to work? We're more in the suburbs. Everybody's driving a car, but if you're in the city and everybody's taking mass transit, I could not imagine getting on a crowded Metro car right now. Right. We need to be conscious and, and thoughtful about what's going on with schools and daycare. You know, the summer's here. Most camps are canceled. You know, we have employees with, with kids that normally would be in daycare, camp situations. Everything's up in the air on that right now. And well, we may say, you know, this is work. That's your problem. Well, it's our problem because right. an employee who can't come to work or comes to work and is on the phone every 20 minutes with their kids at home who really shouldn't be home isn't helping. So, and that's office space considerations. What about places like restaurants and gyms, places that have to, half of the people, at least they, their employees, yes, for sure, but also their customers. They have to protect their customers and yet engage with their customers at the same time. And what legal liability do they have for a customer claiming they got sick? So another species of what we said earlier, probably the same answer or same challenge, like how do you prove that? I, I was about to say that exactly. Yeah. As far as a customer getting sick, you know, how can you say you got it here? But then you also have to get into the whole contact tracing thing. You know, if, you ha- if you're a business, a restaurant, a gym, that, that somebody gets sick at, you know, you are, I think, required to notify your local Department of Health to put out a notice that, hey, XYZ gym had a, a confirmed case of COVID with an employee who was there for these six days. I, I hate to say this, Phil. Let me ask you this. This just popped in my head because I think this will happen in some places. A gym or a restaurant has somebody who's sick. They know they have to publish that. They know if they publish that, then somebody could come along and sue them because there's no waiver of liability. And this enhances that person's potential claim that, oh, well, you told the Department of Health you had someone here who had it, so it must be you who gave it to me. So they're not, they're going to self-police and not report, self-police in a bad way. 
you know, do you think some of that, it, it, I mean, I don't know what to say about that, but I, I, that's a concern that pops into my head. And well, you know, what do you advise people? I mean, obviously you shouldn't do that. I'm trying to take the, the larger view of this. Right. And, and, and when I say larger view, what I mean is I'm trying, I want to do everything we can to limit the spread of, of COVID. And I think from that perspective, you need to tell people. So there, it's interesting, you've, you're an epidemiologist, a lawyer, a therapist, and now also you're an ethical consultant. Because I think truly you're right. I think we have to, as a society, look at the larger ethical view. And you have to kind of say, maybe there's some risk to my business, but if I don't report it, there's a bigger risk to society as a whole, for sure. Well, it's a bigger risk to society as a whole and to your business. Because if you don't report it, you know, we see the way the numbers spread exponentially. Right. And so we don't report it. So all these people that have been in my gym now think nothing. And they spend the next two weeks asymptomatic, maybe positive, running around infecting hundreds of more people. So that that's this whole second wave we're talking about. And the next thing you know, we're going to be closed for three more months in, you know, July, August, and September. Yeah. Or, you know, September, October, November, whatever. And yeah. we're going to be, you know, flattening the curve for the second time. Uh-huh. Um, so it's a kind of you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. But I think if you look at it as a whole, if we have people running around unknowingly spreading this virus, we're going to end up in a, in a second phase of a lockdown. Yeah. If we wanted to close it out, like three things that anybody who's watching this podcast should take away from this, what would those three things be in your words? I guess the first thing and the most important thing is, you know, I, I actually really want to be a proponent of wearing a mask. And when people say, well, I don't really care, I'm not worried. They need to be reminded, you're not wearing the mask to protect yourself. You're wearing the mask to protect others. Right. I think that's the first thing. The second thing is, I think we need to be vigilant in screening our employees. And I don't mean, you know, having somebody sit at the door like you had with your dentist, with every employee come in, but, you know, letting everybody know, here is our questionnaire that you need to ask yourself every morning as you're getting out of bed, before you get in your car, get on, on your bike, however you're getting to the office, you need to answer these questions before you come into the office. And if you answer any of them, yes, call us, don't come in. Right. I think that's real important. I think the third thing is, is that we need to be listening to our employees when they tell us their fears, their concerns, and not just um, dismissing them. You know, the fears are great. I mean, we don't know what's in different people's mind. You know, you say, well, Phil looks like a healthy guy. Who knows? You know, why can't he come to work? Well, you may not know that my father lives in an assisted living memory impaired unit. And I can't visit him if I'm exposed to somebody. So I can't come to my, my option is I come to the office or I can't visit my father anymore. Or I may have a sick family member who's immunosuppressed at home. So, you know, we've got, we've got to listen to people. And, you know, on those things where the employee says, I can't come to work because we need to do actually an Americans with Disability Act analysis to determine what we're going to do there. We can't necessarily just say, if you don't come to work, you're fired. Now, if an employee says, I don't really want to come to work, I'm getting more money on unemployment, that's a whole different issue. Right. They're not saying I've got some type of medical reason why I can't come to work. They're saying I'm just a lazy slug and I'd rather get paid more or paid comparable to sit at home. They're not a challenge for us because they're not our employees because they're on unemployment. So exactly. Well, when, they, when you're trying to get them to come back to work. Oh, I see. So they're on unemployment now. If they're furloughed, for example, if you if your company right. furloughed people and they're getting unemployment for the furlough and they're like, nope, there's more here. I've heard that from various 
companies and sectors that unemployment is paying so well with the COVID enhancement money, it's you know, encouraging people from going back. In in Virginia right now, you know, you're able to max out on on with the six hundred dollar federal enhancement. And Virginia, it's nine hundred and seventy eight or seventy six dollars a week, so over yeah. fifty thousand dollars a year. So if you're making forty thousand dollars here as an employee, you're furloughed, and they're like, "Come back!" You're making more money right now, furloughed. Correct. Yeah, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. So thank you, Phil. I think this was helpful. It sounds like a lot of the advice, again, it centers on listening to employees, employing common sense, and kind of thinking about it from a medical perspective as well as a legal perspective. And if you do that, it's going to benefit you legally, ultimately. It's going to benefit your business if you kind of do the right thing here. Yeah, it's going to benefit you legally. But I think that society, your customer base is going to say, hey, they tried to do what's right. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's also, and your employees are going to say the same thing. And, you know, employee satisfaction, you know, I like the expression, you know, a happy cow gives good milk. Happy employees work better. I don't know if I want their milk, though. Well, happy cow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Just anyway, visual the metaphor. Um, and, and the only other thing I'd say is it's ever evolving. As we said at the beginning, what was accurate advice two days ago, next week may not be. Right. And it's very frustrating from our point of view that that's what's going on. But literally every day, this, this is a changing environment we're in. Okay. So I'll, I'll say check uh, Dunlap, Bennett and Ludwig's dblawyers.com's COVID resources page. We keep that updated with current laws. I know, Phil, you look at that and other attorneys at the firm look at that. And then obviously check state and county uh, health department sites. Phil, thanks. Thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate it. I know that people listening and watching do too. And these COVID videos have gotten a lot of watching time from a lot of people. So, So they're valuable and useful. I guess thank you, everybody, for joining us today on this Black Letter podcast. Download this wherever you get your podcast, Spotify the iTunes store or the play store. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time on the black letter podcast. That's all for today's episode of black letter. Thanks again for listening. Join us next time when we talk about more black letter issues in creative ways, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Google play. So you never miss an episode and to catch us on video, check out our website at blackletterstudios.com.